0: This is David Suisa. Welcome to my podcast. Today, I'm delighted to have my friend, Rabbi Aaron Lerner, head of the UCLA Hillel, and a special, important member of our community who is going to share with us what's going on on college campus. Aaron, so great to have you with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, you know, we always have this image of college campuses today that all hell's breaking loose and... We get to see these viral videos of events being ambushed by anti-Israel activists and so forth. What's the, what's the mood right now uh, on campus? And uh, if you had to tell our listeners and our Jewish Journal readers what things are like to get a sense of whether it's getting worse, better, or same.
1: So I think that the hardest thing for people to do in general uh, is to live with multiple realities at the same time. So, you know, there's a reality on uh, campus right now in which Jewish students are experiencing a real renaissance in Jewish life. Amazing. 200 people for Shabbat, uh, people coming out from the woodwork and engaging with their peers. We've grown at Hillel from about 300 active students to like 1,800 active students. So, 600% growth over a decade. Um, And you can really feel the vibrancy of Jewish life on a lot of campuses. Most Hillel directors, most uh, Chabad's, most students, frankly, that you talk to on college campuses right now, uh, will tell you that in general, they're having an amazing, amazing experience, Jewish and otherwise, on college campuses.
0: Where is that coming from? Why is it? Uh,
1: Why why is is it? You know, I think that there's a resurgence of uh, identity and interest in who I am at this point in history, some of it has to do just with what's happening on campuses in general, right? There's an identity politics um, and a focus on you know, who you are. What does it mean to have that skin color? What does it mean to um, you know, have that sexuality? What does it mean to have those kinds of parents, right? And even if you haven't thought about those questions before you're coming to campus, and maybe you're not even interested in, <laughs> in asking those questions right now, nonetheless, people are asking those questions of you. And they're saying to you like, well, you're Jewish, what does that mean to you? And if you've never thought about that question, now's the time where people are actually asking you that question and you're sort of forced to confront it.
0: But what I'm, what I'm sensing, which is highly disappointing, is that the identity politics have married to a sense of victimhood. So when I, when, I, when I see these cases of activists on campus who are using identity to express a sense that they don't want to be offended by a thought they disagree with, complaining about white supremacy, about patriarchy, about misogyny, I feel that there's a certain epidemic of victimhood that's going on on campus that mitigates against the curiosity that one ought to have during your college years of engaging with different ideas. So on the one hand, I see where you're going with the identity, the recognition of identity as something that might have a good positive effect. Mm For the Jews, but I see that other side. Can you t- comment on that? Yeah, the,
1: the, what I'm showing you is a silver lining of something that I do think is very problematic. Right, that there that the uh, renewed focus on uh, identity pro- on identity politics can be caustic. Uh, it can breed a bad, you know, campus climate. Uh, it can it can breed, frankly, a misunderstanding of who people really are. Um, you know, right now, I would say a lot of. Jews who are active in social justice spaces uh, and, in, and in progressive spaces will tell you that Jews are perceived as being white, uh, Jews are perceived as being highly privileged, Jews are perceived as, um, you know, enjoying um, the—yeah, I, I would say privilege has become, has become the narrative for us. And it's frankly, it's not true. Right? I've got students—I have Jewish students who are on meal plans. Uh, because they can't afford, you know, food, and they're coming from all kinds of different houses economically. Uh, and I've got students of just about every color right on campus. I mean, you know this, you know, in your in your own narrative. Um, and I think that uh, we we get stuck uh, in positions that other people put us in that are not authentic to who we are.
0: And then, what's happening that that, that I'm seeing is, for some reason, the Jews are. Uh, being targeted, uh, and it's connected to this movement against Israel. And I have friends of mine, students, and children of friends of mine who are very progressive, who are liberals, who find it very hard now to get involved with liberal causes because they're also pro-Israel.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And what I find like really, like uh, really disturbing yeah. is that it seems to be isolating just this one group on campus, the Jews who are pro-Israel, and it, they, they're really sort of paying a high price for being pro-Israel. Are you seeing some of that?
1: So I would say that it functions as much as probably 50% the narrative of privilege and 50% the narrative of uh, Israel stuff. So what do I mean? I mean that uh, privileged communities in general uh, are supposed to take a back seat in intersectional spaces. And the intersectional spaces... Um, you know, are going to be the, the coming together of groups which traditionally understand themselves as oppressed and have been oppressed uh, in our country and around the world. Um, when you step into those spaces on a college campus right now, let's say as a uh, white um, cisgendered male, right? Forgetting about the Jewish part or about the pro-Israel part, your uh, role is understood to be to, to sort of take a step back. You don't fit in the same well, way, right? As you well. would as you would, and maybe in some other spaces. And there's there's been interesting articles about um, this and about how to be an ally. The further layering that has made it even more complicated for Jewish and especially pro-Israel students is that Israel is understood as a European colonialist white. Uh, endeavor, and that's highly unpopular in progressive
0: (laughs) intersectional spaces. Right. This is a lethal brew, Aaron, because in addition to that, Israel is seen as very powerful and very successful. So it seems as if a Jewish student on campus who's pro-Israel has all the checks against him. On the one hand, the Jews are seen as successful, privileged, white. And on the other hand, Israel is seen as successful, privileged, and white. So it's a double whammy. It's a lethal brew, which makes it extremely difficult for a progressive Jew to be pro-Israel. Uh, do you deal with these Jews?
1: Yeah. So I would say that there's, I'd say that there's two categories who have a hard time on campus, uh, and they're both, they both represent a minority of students on campus, of Jewish students on campus. One is students who are just really, you know. Uh, loud about their pro-Israel spirit and we support them and I want them to be out there. And when you're when you're loud as a Zionist uh, on campus, people are you know, going to challenge you. Uh, and then the second group that I think it's hard for are some of these progressive uh, students, Jewish, pro-Israel and maybe even, you know, kind of uh, neutral and or critical Um, of the Israeli government's policies, but still believing that Israel has a right to exist. I think those two types of uh, identities are under fire on campus. Those two types of identities really only represent, you know, a certain number of students on campus. Everybody else, uh, you know, the people who are going to listen to this podcast and, and say, well, that's not what's happening in my Jewish experience on campus. My Jewish, on, my Jewish experience on campus is defined by Shabbat. My Jewish experience on campus is defined by the basketball game that I play as, you know, part of a Hillel League or whatever it may be. Um, and so I think that sometimes with media, we pay attention to the stories that are really uh, interesting, inflammatory, you know, et cetera, et cetera, but may not actually be representative of the majority experience, even for Jewish students on campus.
0: That's it's something we—it's a dilemma we deal with all all the time, mm-hmm. um, and the, the the more dramatic and the more alarming just readers have a, an interest in that yeah we and look straight to it I got, got, oh my I, god there's a car accident over there right i now, got cnn on my in my office uh-huh. all day long yeah i don't know and how you do it it's breaking news all <laughs> day long it's right. one alarming uh, thing after another but i but I, I i'm still sort of fascinated by this uh, this phenomenon of you know being pro israel on campus the reason i'm i'm talking about all this is because of the new book by Yossi Klein-Alevi, my friend, uh, letters Mm, to my my Palestinian Palestinian neighbor, neighbor. and it's sort of shaken things up a little bit in the community conversation, because you use the word, they believe in Israel's right to exist. I really never liked that phrase, the one you used, Mm -hmm. Israel's right, because I believe it goes a lot deeper than that, and I know how much you're a lover of Israel. And you, your passion for Israel goes a lot deeper mm-hmm. than just recognizing Israel's right to exist. And the brilliance of that book is he's able to express a deep, deep passionate love yeah. for, for Israel while also recognizing the narrative of a Palestinian neighbor. And he's managed to pull it off mm-hmm. brilliantly. And I just feel that that's the kind of thing that, and I know how centrist you are. It's the kind of direction where a really deeper conversation can go. Mm-hmm. So it's not the sort of the, the stuff you get from a lot of these new groups on the left where all you hear is the Palestinian narrative, and it's not the one you hear from the right where all you hear is those, with, you, right. you know, the, the screamers yep. that are I'm proud of Israel and pro-Israel, this, this brilliant, uh, compassionate, and passionate sort of depiction of both narratives that I think can really influence the conversation even on campuses.
1: Yeah, and I think we have a lot of work to do to be able to understand different people's narratives because those are their truths. In other words, we've been running now, I've sent a hundred uh, non-Jewish students to Israel since we had some incidents back in 2014. We started a, we started a trip to take uh, specifically students who were involved in progressive politics and intersectionality, And others who I think just misunderstand what Israel is about and what the Jewish community's relationship with Israel is about. Um, And we deliberately did it in a way uh, where we're taking students to both Israel and to the Palestinian Authority. And they're getting to meet with Israelis who are super passionate, maybe Israelis who have lived there for 5, 10, 15 generations, uh, Jewish Israelis. And they're also meeting with Palestinians and trying to understand their narrative and their connection to the land. And it's really hard. That trip is really hard for everybody. It's hard for the handful of uh, Jewish students who we bring who have only ever heard one narrative and they're f- they're exposed for the first time to the Palestinian narrative. Uh, and it's hard for the other folks who have never heard the Jewish narrative and have never heard our deep and powerful and loving connection to this particular dirt that we haven't had for 100 years. We've had for 3,000 years, for mm-hmm. 3,500 years, right? And, and I think that when they can see that and appreciate that, um, from multiple perspectives and from different people and to understand um, to understand people in their own words and in their own narratives is just extraordinarily powerful. It's life-changing.
0: Well, right now, you know, there's a new development that's happened in the American Jewish community. Uh, they have groups like, in particular, if not now, that is causing a stir uh, because, you know, we have a tradition in the Jewish establishment of honoring the young. You know, we're I guess we're so afraid we're gonna lose the young to intermarriage and so forth that there's a, there's a sense of uh, wanting to validate, sometimes coddle uh, the young and give them almost too much credit. So right now there's a dilemma among many in the Jewish establishment of how to deal with these groups. Mm-hmm. And I think Hillel, your organization, has had a similar dilemma. Um, this is why i go back to this idea of loving with nuance Mm -hmm. you know a deep conversation a complex conversation and i've written about this in the jewish journal that what bothers me with these groups is that it's not a complex conversation it's very one-sided there's a lot of pr stunts but they're making they're getting a lot of mileage a lot of traction and i wanted to ask you if you've encountered the situation where these kind of groups, and I call them Mm one-sided, they're Mm -hmm. (laughs) anti-complexity, and these are Jewish groups who only ask students to do Kaddish for the Palestinian victims at the Gaza border, and to teach you about the occupation, right, and it's really Mm one-sided. How do you deal with that, Aaron? Look, what's lost is
1: uh, I think that a lot of these students actually uh, care for Israel. Um, some of them are Israelis themselves. Uh, they definitely, many of them care about their Jewish identities. And I think part of what they're, part of what they're experiencing and feeling um, is a sense of disconnect with what they think Judaism can and should uh, stand for. They don't tell that story well, right? <laughs> the the um, intensity and I, I think... Um, the intensity of their activism, and and maybe even the, the foolishness or the downfall of their activism, is that they're not telling it from a they're not telling it from a place of love, right? And I and I think that if they really do have the love uh, in their hearts, and they would start there, people would see that, and then people would be able to understand the stories. You know, when you when you sit with them and you actually have a conversation with them, it looks a lot different than when they're lying down in the middle of the street getting arrested. Uh, and I think, and I and I think that you know, if there's one thing that I was going to promote in general, because I had the opportunity to do this with so many different types of students, is to actually just sit and listen from a curious place, right? And try to try to understand like. I really don't understand why you did that <laughs> right? can you help explain to me right where this you know where this fiery passion is coming from um, I, I think that that's the thing that we're not really doing anymore we're not exposing ourselves to narrative we're not exposing ourselves to different stories than the ones that we already believe uh, and of course the internet is doing that for us right the algorithms of google and facebook and whatever are serving us up uh, things that confirm the biases that we already have so if you've clicked on an article you're more likely to get articles that are like that one coming into your newsfeed. So we're, um, you know, we're, we're sort of self-insulated. I think that it's hard for us to talk to other people. Um, and we're being insulated from a technology standpoint.
0: Have you had incidents where one of these groups has asked you to use the space at Hillel for a quote-unquote Palestinian, pro-Palestinian event? Has that happened, Aaron?
1: Uh, yes, and to protect uh, Hillel and the you know relationships that I have with students, I don't want to I don't want to get into that uh, too much. What I what I am interested in talking about uh, is the.
0: But do you do you allow it? No. Kind of so event?
1: so the two the two groups I would say like if I was going to describe uh, from a policy standpoint in terms of building usage, uh, what can and can't happen in the building. If you uh, if you want to destroy Israel, uh, or you're aligned with people who want to destroy Israel. There's plenty of other places that you can go. You can go do your thing on campus. You can go lie down in the streets. You can go do whatever you want, but that's not, that's not why Hillel exists. Um, and, and frankly, on the other side, you know, I've got some students who think that carpet bombing Gaza uh, is the solution to the conflict, and I'm not gonna give them and their groups you know, space either. Uh, both of those folks are actually really fringe. And what I am interested in supporting is a dialogue complexity. between – Yeah, complexity. But mm-hmm. a dialogue between the people, let's say, on the, you know, on the left who are anti-settlement or anti-occupation and on the right who are pro-settlement for security reasons or for mm-hmm. you know, our, our long-term relationship with the state, of, with the state mm-hmm. of Israel and with that piece of dirt. Um, and those kinds of groups, if you, fall, you know, if you fall within the first two standard deviations, which is 95 percent of everybody on campus, bring it on. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's have a conversation. Let's, mm-hmm. you know, let's use space. Let's get you guys talking to one another. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you're really fringe, like I, I don't need that.
0: Speaking of conversation, uh, you really took the gloves off a few weeks ago and you got a lot of credit and kudos from uh, people in the community. Because there was a outrageous moment when yeah. almost extremely aggressive uh, hecklers interrupted a, a indigenous uh, session organized, I think, by SSI mm-hmm. students. Uh, supporting israel and it was at on your campus and uh, can you talk about that because it was almost i mean it was kind of scary
1: yeah it's intolerable it's disgusting um, i think that they tell they, our listeners what
0: happened yeah
1: sure so so there was a, a group of students ssi who are having a um, you know peaceful program in dot hall which is a lecture campus on uh... campus and about fifty minutes into their uh... program a group of protesters disruptors um, you know, came, came into the room, really barged into the room. Uh, one of them ran down to the front of the room, tore down an Armenian flag uh, that was hung by a Lebanese-Armenian Christian, um, a guy named Darian, who's actually going to be next year's president of Bruins for Israel, which is fascinating. Here you have this Lebanese-Armenian, you know, non-Jewish Christian who's, uh, re- you know, who's really involved with Israel activism on campus. Uh, tore it down, really got up in his face. At the same time as there was a group of protesters that are kind of coming around the outside, of the outer rim of, of where students are sitting, um, who start to make a lot of noise. They're yelling, they're blowing whistles, they're using megaphones, they start singing and dancing. Um, and it goes on for about eight minutes, right? As, the, as and, 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 you know, I'm watching this and I'm, first of all, uh, kudos to our students who were able to keep it together, right, and to, and to remain calm. Um, and then the police came in and said, "You know, you're actually in violation of these students' free rights, you know, free speech rights to hear. Right? Yes, you have the right to protest outside, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But you can't be in the room shutting down an event. Uh, but it, but it, one, it took too long." Um, I understand now some of the reasons that it took too long. Actually, the police were outside of the room uh, and didn't see that first altercation. So if you turn on the video from our, you know, from our perspective, we're like, oh, my God, the police should have gotten this guy out of, you know, mm-hmm. out of there immediately. By the time that they came into the room, they see people who are kind of dancing around and you know, singing songs and, and whatever. Uh, and the police on campus and, and in the world right now are being taught to deescalate. Um, so they did not get up in people's faces in the way that some of us would like them to, you know, get those guys out of there, right? Mm-hmm. And I, to- I totally understand that. Um, but, the, but that kind of disruption is, is totally intolerable. We're not going to stand for it. The university's not going to stand for it. Um, in fact, I've been in conversation with administrators about getting you a letter to express uh, just how far out of bounds this is at UCLA. They're not going to stand for it. There are disciplinary processes that are happening to take uh, both those students, and people should know uh, most of the people who came into the room, not students, uh, part of this like anti-fascist, you know, group of off-campus agitators who have been arrested. They were arrested, you know, the week before it, Rahm Emanuel and the week before it, uh, you know, the regents hearing and the week before it, whatever. So the so the university is going to go after them with the LA prosecutor's office as well. Uh, but it crosses the line. It crosses a line that hasn't been crossed.
0: Correct. Well, yeah. What's What's interesting though, is as you mentioned, an Armenian Christian student that was on the panel, uh, but is, is it the Israel connection that triggered this thing, because it was students supporting Israel. Because if it was just a Christian uh, event right. Right. or just a Christian, you know, right. Armenian event, they would not have barged into the room. Correct.
1: Listen, we ha- we have a narrative, or some of our students have a narrative, uh, in which Jews are indigenous to the state of Israel. Right. Jews are indigenous to that piece of land. Right. We, and that's we, what
0: that uh, panel was about.
1: Yeah. We moved in thousands of years ago. We've had a mm-hmm. continuous presence in Sfat, uh, Tiberias, Jerusalem and Hebron. Right. And they want to say we're part of this conversation, too. It's not mm-hmm. that there's not other people who are not indigenous uh, to this, you know, to this region as well. But the language of using indigeneity is. Um, Can feel weaponized towards other people who use the word indigenous in their progressive and intersectional spaces, and so they, I I think that they, you know, it's it's a little bit of a uh, of a trigger for the other side to say, what do you mean they're they're calling themselves indigenous? That doesn't vibe with my narrative, where these guys are white uh, colonialists from Europe who came after the Holocaust, right? They completely reject our connections.
0: Correct. And there's an utter absence of curiosity, as you as you mentioned Correct. earlier. Yeah, for
1: sure. In fact, the, the shaliach um, who works at Hillel, it wasn't, that was not a Hillel event, but the shaliach was there. Her name is Amit. And she actually invited them to join the conversation. She says, look, you want to talk about indigeneity uh, in the Middle East? W- welcome. Sit down. Right. Let's enjoy some food. Let's break bread together.
0: Yeah. If, if I find if there's anything that's really corrosive, in my view, is a sense that you know, when there's no interest at all in a debate or in a conversation, when it's almost a sense of war footing, yeah. and I'm just here to crush you in any way I can, that's a little disappointing during a, the time in your life when you're in college and you're supposed to be engaging with different ideas, and it doesn't seem to be an interest. Yeah. An interesting conversation. No, that's
1: not what the academy is supposed to be about.
0: But on, but on, on, on that note, you mentioned something interesting earlier, where one of these so-called rabble-rousers, and for all the listeners out there, Aaron actually engages with everybody on campus, including the rabble-rousers. Can you tell us the story of you meeting one of them? And you don't have to name anyone, but that's... Sure,
1: sure. So, so first of all, I think that it's really important to have relationships with people, right? Even, even people with whom you really disagree. Like, I want to have your phone number so that I can call you and tell you, like, that crosses the line. You, you know, you can't do that. Um, or this offends, you know, or this offends our community. So I think a story that I was telling you earlier offline was uh, about meeting a cartoonist who put something in the Daily Bruin a couple of years ago, a year ago, uh, that our community found to be offensive and even anti-Semitic and and crossing some lines. Um, That student as a European who was raised in Spain uh, did not really understand our sensibilities. Uh, He came in for the first time. We had coffee in my office, you didn't um, have a
0: coffee bean at Hilo. We
1: we do. We've got a full, we've got a a coffee bean at Hilo. Thank you. Thank you to our uh, longtime board member David Suisa, actually.
0: <laughs> we love the <laughs> coffee bean happen. at Hilo. Yes,
1: amazing. Um, so so with that kind of person, like I want to sit down and say hey, this is what our community is about. I don't think you understand who, you know, I don't think you understand who we are. And I don't want to tell you, I don't want to yell at you about that, right? I want to actually build a relationship of understanding. And I'll listen to you too and try to figure out, you know, who you are and what you, you know, and, and what you care about and what you understand. Um, and in general, those relations, that relationship building has really worked. Those students come to Shabbat. Uh, those students come on our- Those
0: students, you yeah, mean the rabble-rousers? Yeah, some
1: of the, some, no, hmm. uh, not in this in this particular case, no. Um, but you have to understand that there's really only in that room of about 25 protesters, about six or seven UCLA students that we can actually identify. Wow. The rest of them come from this crazy group called SWANA and some other crazy group of like resist fascism, whatever. They're adults. Wow. Wow. They're, they're crazies from Los Angeles who came onto campus. Mercenaries. Yeah, essentially. Right. Wow. Essentially. Um, so it's not like, I think a lot of people look at an incident like that and they say, oh my God, I can't believe what's happening on campus. Mm-hmm. Actually, this is an incident that happened in Los Angeles. Right, for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. Like these are the same people who get arrested at the council meetings and, you know, all of that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I find UCLA students actually often to be very open to uh, learning new things once they're once they're approached in a way that's not telling them uh, that they're wrong and terrible and, you know, mm-hmm. throw like trying to attack them, um, but mm-hmm. rather to say, like, I would love to share with you some of the sensibilities of our community.
0: And don't you find that the dynamic of one-on-one is, you know, in totally different mm-hmm. what you can accomplish one-on-one when there's no audience, there's nobody watching. You don't have to perform for anyone else. Yeah, and that's actually,
1: that, I mean, that's one of the reasons that we have a healthy conversation inside of Hillel, right, is that those students have relationships one with another. Let's say Jews who are on the—you a know, variety of different political or religious perspectives, they break bread together. They know each other. They know each other's stories. They know where they come from. They know what they care about. They know that in general, like, they're good people. So when they sit down, you know, we had a funny Uh, A funny incident happened when uh, one student sat down next to another on a spring break trip, an alternative spring break social justice trip to Argentina. Um, One of them is reading Noam Chomsky, uh, and the other one is reading Dershowitz. (laughs) And they kind of give each other the stink eye, right? Um, And by the end of the trip, they had really gotten to know each other. And one of them said to the other, you know, I'll read yours if you'll read mine. Mm. Uh, and And that kind of relationship, it takes time, but it can happen when you're not just attacking people all the
0: time. Uh, Do you share sort of uh, stories and things that you do with different Hillels across the country? I'm sure you have your annual events. Is there this kind of—what are you hearing from other Hillels across the country?
1: Yeah, so first I want to share a story about something that we started. So we started this fact-finding mission for non-Jews to actually go see Israel and the PA for themselves. Uh, We started with one trip at UCLA in 2014. It expanded to seven in California in the next year. It went to 21— now there's 40 of them running, ran by Hillel's around the country. Um, Mm. So that means that there's going to be a thousand students from around the country, not Jewish, who go and see Israel and the PA for themselves and hear these narratives for themselves. Um, That's the kind of like benefit or, you know, sort of cross-pollination that we get from the system, which is really incredible. Um, What I'm hearing in general from uh, directors is that they are having similar experiences with progressive and intersectional um, Challenges. I'm also hearing from people that Shabbat is full. That students are having an amazing Jewish learning experience. Like we've got more students learning at UCLA than we've ever had in the entirety of our you know of our Hillel. I've, we run like eight Jewish learning fellowships a quarter, something you know, something <laughs> like that. So there's like hundreds of students doing Jewish learning that's never happened before. Um, and that's and that's happening around you know that's happening around the country.
0: You know, it's funny because I have a background in branding. And when I heard a few years ago that there was this little movement called Open Hillel, it struck me as so odd and I- ironic because Hillel itself is pretty open right right They, they approached
1: us and they said, uh, they they approached us and they said, "You know, we want to bring." Uh, open Hill and I said what are you talking about so, like when, when have you ever not been allowed to you know participate in something? Who's or, do something or whatever? a couple of, a couple of students at,
0: at UCLA at, at UCLA
1: right. but I think what's I think what's missing is that it was exactly two students right sometimes right. people look at campus and they think to themselves like oh all the Jews have turned you know in this direction or that direction or whatever there's about 3,000 Jewish undergrads uh, at UCLA and exactly two of them we're interested in, you know, doing this particular thing. So I want to know them. I want to engage them. I'll talk to them. But that means that 2,998 other students, right, who we're not talking about, who we're not paying attention to, um, are out there without those, you know, without those thoughts.
0: Now, Aaron, you were not uh, – when, when you were growing up, you did not dream of becoming a rabbi. You have an interesting <laughs> journey can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, so there's two. I mean, there's two pieces of this that might be uh, interesting. One is I was interested in doing commercial real estate finance, which I did. Uh, I still hold my broker's license. You know? Where were you born? I was born in uh, Denver, Colorado. Grew up in Houston. Um, grew up in an intermarried family. So my dad's Jewish. My mom's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, we participated in both Christian and Jewish spaces. Mm-hmm. So I saw that. You know, I kind of saw that for myself. Um, sometime around high school and. And early college, I decided to make a decision about my own identity uh, that I really, you know, I really felt Jewish, right? I felt a Jewish neshama.
0: You had been exposed to both.
1: I had definitely been exposed to both. What's it like,
0: Aaron? What's it like? Because I can't even imagine what it's like. You had uh, uh, Hanukkah and Christmas at the same time. Uh, At times, So you grew up with both traditions side by side. Yeah. How did it feel? Did you you feel a, a sort of sense of... I should prefer one or the other. I I prefer this one now. I prefer the other one then. Judaism is too much. I got a fast on Yom Kippur. That's a pain in the neck. and right. Blah, blah, blah. But I do like the sukkah. That's kind of fun. And Shabbat is kind of good. You know, how did that, how do you navigate the back and forth between two traditions?
1: Yeah. So first of all, I think it's a lot of things at the same time. Right? It just is. Right? You're... Um, I'm in school in the South, right? As one of the only kids who's identified as Jewish, and so people are telling me that I'm Jewish, even though okay. I don't even really know what that means. You know, what does that mean? And P.S., like I go to church, right?
0: So was your father? Uh, uh,
1: so my father, my father's complicated. I don't know if I want to talk too much about it. Okay. Uh, you know. His, All right. But his, you
0: knew your Judaism growing up, right? Yeah,
1: I knew. I knew my Judaism, and I think that for I think for some people that was really confusing because most Jews know nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Most most Jews who I encountered, especially in public schools and you know, uh, sort of liberal liberal settings uh, as a litmus test could not tell you the difference between Abraham and Moses. But if you went up, if you asked them like who went up on Sinai in the Bible and got the Ten Commandments, uh, Abraham or Moses, they couldn't answer.
0: Who did go up by that? No, <laughs> just
1: kidding.
0: You got to ask your readers. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So did you? Uh, what did you learn growing up? Did you have Sunday school? Did you go to shul on Yom Kippur? What did you do? Yes, yeah, so I had a bar. Jewish I had a bar
1: mitzvah. Okay. Uh, I learned to lane. I learned mm-hmm. some Hebrew. Um, mm-hmm. That was, you know, f- sort of fascinating. I saw the messianic community from the inside, which wow. was fascinating uh, in and of itself. Um, I learned about fundamentalism, uh, fundamentalism in the evangelical community, fundamentalism then in the messianic community, and post-college fundamentalism in the Orthodox community mm-hmm. in the shtachim in Israel, mm-hmm. uh, which was which was the sort of final maybe nail in the coffin for me to realize that as much as I was leaving. Uh, Christianity and some of those pieces of my identity behind, I was also trying to leave fundamentalist behind. Mm. Uh, and I didn't realize that fundamentalists are fundamentally the same, mm. uh, you know, sort of, sort of around the world. And so it wasn't really until I met um, people who were living in, you know, trailers on hilltops in the West Bank, uh, where I went to yeshiva for a while that I realized, oh, you guys actually see the world in, uh, through a very similar lens as like the evangelicals that I grew up with in America.
0: Yeah, extremely passionate. And, but you went to college not thinking you would ever want to become a rabbi, right? You got a, a business degree. Yeah, I was And Ch- while you were in college, did you go to a Hillel or a Chabad?
1: So I went to USC Hillel, um, okay. and I had two different experiences there. Uh, when I first arrived, they didn't know what to do with me. My story was unusual, and I think they found me threatening. Um, In what way? And, th- uh, you know, if a, guy, if a guy like me who's charismatic and knows the Bible... Uh, decides that he wants to get involved in Hillel and start proselytizing to the students. That's a problem, <laughs> right? That's I and I can see it as a now as a Hillel executive director and
0: proselytizing in what direction?
1: Well, that that'd be a good question, right? But but I think from their perspective, they were thinking if this guy comes in and says that you know Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, um, then that would be a problem for them, especially right, if they did the something like. Because at the time, you like, still had the dual identity. At the time, to- I would say that I would say that by the time that I was in my like early college experience, I was trying to shed the Jewish. I, I was trying to shed the Christian identity. Okay. I was already in that mode, but Hillel couldn't handle that. 30 years ago, Hillel couldn't handle that. Um, And then there was a new director, a guy named Rabbi Jonathan Klein, who now runs Clue here in town, came in. And Jonathan was just, he was just able to hear it, right? He was able to kind of live with both and to say, like, okay, I I can see why people are, you know, threatened by who you are, but I can also see the direction that you're trying to go. Um, Jonathan eventually helped me convert, which is, like, really amazing. I had a reform um, rabbi sponsoring my conservative... Uh, conversion at the, at the what was that, the UJ, uh, to go off to Orthodox Yeshiva and, you know. You and, went to Orthodox in Israel, Yeshiva? Yeah, I went to Orthodox Yeshiva, and then I, I wound up converting Orthodox again. Um, With who? Later. Uh, so, so in Israel, um, which was like a fascinating and, and disturbing experience uh, in and of itself, I think that they're still not doing a great job, you know, bringing oh, yeah. in. Bringing sure. people who were like, the I was the lowest hanging of fruit, right? Like, here's the guy who's already converted. You know, his brother, right. my brother was in Golani at the time right. uh, in the Israeli army. I had already made a commitment. I'm in yeshiva. And it still were you involved was
0: like, with Rabbi Riskin there?
1: Uh, I was yeah. not involved with Riskin. There are people who are doing it really well. Right. Yeah, there there are. I just think that the the way in which the Haredi, um, oh, they're you know, taking rabbinate has so t- they, they've taken over yeah. the rabbinate. But,
0: who is your rabbi?
1: Uh, I would say right now my rabbi is Yosef Konevsky. At B'nai David Judea. And when you I were in Israel? Um, when I was in Israel, I had a variety of different, you know, folks. But Danny Landis at Pardes was, oh, I love him. you know, eventually my, yeah. Landis is. My foundation. Amazing, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah he's amazing. Did you yeah. study at Pardes too?
1: I did. So I went to this hilltop yeshiva um, for a while. And, in part because I had never seen Jews in America who had God. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like in a serious way. I mean, and evangelicals have God. They pray, they pray in English, they, you know, it, maybe they're falling on the floor, whatever it may be. But I didn't see that sense of spirituality in the Jewish community. And somebody said like, oh, you got to go out, uh, you know, to this place and, and you'll find God in the woods.
0: Amazing. So, so is there, was there an aha moment? Because here you are, you know, mirrored in business studies and finance and so forth. Was there a, a moment? when you decided i'm going to make judaism a lifetime passion
1: yeah in college i think i think finally with rabbi java Nathan klein that became uh a piece of it because judaism is a lifetime passion as a to live as a jew mm-hmm. right just forget being a rabbi you don't have to be a rabbi right. to be a you know to be a learned jew and to uh know hebrew and to study talmud and to you know all of those in fact my favorite rabbi of the talmud is yochanan hassanlar right he's got he's uh, Yochanan, the guy who makes sandals, <laughs> right? Like, it's not the, the professionalization of, of Judaism, is not what ne- we necessarily Oh, you know, need to you're do. tempting
0: me now because that's a <laughs> really interesting column for the Jewish Journal. Yochanan Hasan yes, left- the next. rabbi who right. makes sandals. That is a headline that I'd like to see very yeah. soon. Yeah, so yeah, I'll totally. be following up. Um, so it, it's quite a journey, Aaron. Yeah. You know, and the, is your business background coming in handy?
1: So I joke that I'm a rabbi who reads a spreadsheet. <laughs> um, I think that when they brought me to UCLA, they had a sense that w- with a legacy director, Rabbi Heim Seidlerfeller Feller, um, looking to retire, that this was somebody who they could, you know, move into the, move into the directorship. Um, I use those skills all the time, every day. Fundraising, spreadsheets, trying to figure out the building, trying to do HR. Um, it's a big job. We've got 15 full-time people on staff. We run two, two restaurants. I've got a 22,000 square foot facility uh, and about 2,000 involved students. Like it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's amazing. I need all of those skills. Um, what I really love though, connecting with people, learning, teaching, and the rabbi side of that gives me the opportunity to do those Do you things. teach? I do teach. Yeah, I do. I get I get to spend time with students. I don't get to spend as much time uh, with students as I would like, and I think that's universal.
0: So you wear many system. hats, right? Yeah. And, you know, I wear many hats too, and my biggest challenge is there's one or two hats that I really, really love, but there's three or four other hats that are really important as well. Correct. So you have to sort of fight, resist the temptation to just spend the the time on the things you love, right because uh, at some point the building maintenance manager yep. is going to bother you about the the plumbing system while you're <laughs> teaching Maimonides right. right how do you deal with that
1: uh you know you got to focus you got you got put the stuff in your calendar that you really care about um and hold that spot as if it's gold mm-hmm. you know and don't let yourself get interrupted from the plumbing um you know, that can wait. The only thing that I really get interrupted sometimes is, frankly, by the news cycle. Um, And that'll, you know, that'll take me off and I'll have to respond to that. But I would say, like, you know, what used to take me a week um, in terms of being able to respond to those and coordinate with the administration now takes a few
0: hours. And what happens on Shabbat? Because you have a family, you know, you're in Pico-Robertson, you have a community. And then back on the campus, there's a whole other community. Do you try to spend some time Shabbat on campuses once in a while. Yeah,
1: week. I do. I get to spend. I get to spend some Shabbats on campus, and that's really like that's my lifeblood. I Friday night's in, my favorite night yeah, of the week. Yeah, I mean, I walk in and I see 200, 225 people doing that Shabbat. Many on that many on Friday night? There's that many. There's that many. And, and there are students who haven't experienced Shabbat. It's not a bunch of, you know, orthodox and traditional kids sitting around. It's people who for the first time are coming out and seeing They're not just you know, coming for Shabbat. the Crown Royal, are they? No. <laughs> in fact, we don't need it. I, I don't need it. I don't need to give, uh, you know, okay. I don't need to give students anything special. They're,
0: do they? Is there a cover charge? There is not a cover charge.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, That changed after Chabad Chabad came to campus. Uh, We used to charge, and once you've got a competitor who doesn't charge, like, okay, so you can't charge anymore. But the truth is Chabad's not my competitor. I'm perfectly happy for people to go to Chabad also. Anybody who wants to go have Friday night dinner Anywhere on campus in Los Angeles, please go do it. Right there's enough Jewish students on campus.
0: Do you have a relationship with the Chabad? Yeah,
1: we have a good relationship with them. Um, it really, really nice guy. Actually, my Chabad rabbi, Dov Wagner at USC, was also a big part of you know a big part of my journey. Great guy, um, Dov and Runya over there. But I think that when I walk into my Shabbat and I see that there's all of these students who are having face-to-face interpersonal Uh, Relationships with one another, breaking bread together, learning about other stories—it just it it really uh, validates the decision that I made. I mean, I could make more money in finance, right? Like, I don't need to. I don't need to do this. But we're making something real happen in their lives, and uh, people don't know this, but millennials and Gen Z call themselves uh, the loneliest generation because they're spending a lot of time on their devices. They spend a lot of time by themselves. Uh, And social media is not. It's actually corrosive to uh, oftentimes um, to your identity and to your social interactions. And so we realize that actually our competitor is not Chabad. My competitor is Netflix. My competitor is the iPhone and Facebook and mm. all of the other stuff that is you know, that, dragging people. Is out. it
0: hard to find those students? I mean, there's so many. Right? So
1: there's tons of students. Yeah. But the cool thing about students How do you is find that Jewish they, students so they all campus. know each other. So what mm. we did is we realized that three days into living at, in the dorms, every Jew on the floor has identified themselves right? because they're proud to be Jewish. 95% of, uh, 95% of Jews, according to the Pew study, are proud to be Jewish. Um, and they all know who each other are. So we just had to figure out, from an organizational standpoint, how to get the students to connect one with another. So we've got with social media. Yeah, totally. Social media is part of it, but the truth is, they're actually talking to each other. Mm. They they ignore all marketing. They ignore almost all digital, you know, stuff. But when they hear from somebody. Hey, I'm going over to you know to to dinner. That uh, place on where they Friday have coffee night. bean. Yeah, totally. Like, come on over with me, right? So we we actually have these door hangers. You know, when you're in a hotel, the do not disturb uh, things. So we have a door hanger that says, "Don't bother. I'm at Hillel. because love you want to create that like kind of fear of missing out and sense that everybody's participating in this.
0: Oh, I love it. Uh, before we go, I want to ask you on uh, professors. There's a lot of talk on how uh, the whole. You know, professors have become very political and the whole academia has become politicized. Mm -hmm. And do you reach out to the professor community at UCLA? Yeah,
1: in fact, we've got a group of students who was doing this very deliberately for the last couple of years. They've been doing a professor student dinner um, for specifically building relationships between faculty uh, and pros or students at UCLA. Have
0: you found an anti-Israel strain
1: we, th- you know, there is there is an anti-Israel strain, but we pay way too much attention to it. Mm-hmm. In other words, there's there's we're always paying too much attention to the handful of agitators. I think there's six or 700 Jewish professors at UCLA, mm-hmm. um, and we talk about two of them, right? And, and you know, even like a Judea Pearl um, or some other people who were very Zionist and very outspoken on their pro-Israel, uh, you know, stance don't get as much attention from us as, you know, people who are on the other side. Um, who might have what to, you know, who might have what to say that's critical um, or, or maybe even nasty about Israel. I don't see that much nasty. I see criticism. Mm-hmm. I see criticism. And, and professors, especially in the non, uh, non-sciences, you know, tend to skew across the board more liberal.
0: Mm. What concerns me so often is the one-sidedness, the absence of complexity from people from whom I would expect complexity, mm-hmm. and the the anti-Israel bias for me is an anti-complexity movement, and I, I can expect that from a basic, uneducated activist. But from a educated professor, I expect more.
1: Uh, I do. I, I agree with you. I expect more, um, especially in the academy. I think that I would challenge a little bit to say that many of the activist communities have become anti-complexity. Right. That it's it's almost like you're rooting for your favorite football team Correct. or for, you know, whatever it is. And they they just have to be right. It can't be that Tom Brady was ever involved in a, you know, scandal because I, Tom Brady and I love the you know, and I love those guys. And, it, and it, it's not football. You know, we got to We have to be able to live with uh, more complexity and to stop fighting with each other in the same kind of way.
0: All right. I'm going to put you on the spot now, Aaron. And I'll I'll, I'll be talking a lot as I put you on the spot to give you time to answer. Uh, There's the Parsha of the Week, and if you can share a few words on the Parsha of the Week, it could be very, very short, something that I can share with my kids tonight. And as I'm talking and talking, I'm hoping that you will be thinking of something clever, witty, insightful to say about this week's Parsha of the Week, because it's a tradition in the Suiza household to share holy words on on Friday night, and I, I make it a habit to ask my rabbinic friends, mm. especially those with interesting journeys like you, to share some words of Torah on mm. this week's parsha of the week. Did that give you enough time? So I want
1: to share something. <laughs> I want to share actually something that I wrote uh, that I inscribed into one of my dear friends' uh, books this week. He graduated. I get a doctorate in education. And we started off our relationship a long time ago, maybe 20 years ago, learning Mishnah together. Um, and I wrote in a quote actually from Pirkei Avot, so, so not the Parsha, but, but from Pirkei Avot this week, um, right, that you have to make for yourself a rabbi. You have to have somebody who you respect, who you listen to, who you can go to for advice. And you also have to have a chaver. You have to have somebody uh, that you can be open and honest and sincere with, that you can be vulnerable with, um, who supports you and that you support. And I think between those two things, you can live a really dynamic Jewish life. You can, you can learn and receive uh, words of Torah, even words of Torah that are challenging um, you know, for you, and you can be part of what's really uh, Jewish beyond learning, which is community, relationship, family, um, dialogue so I think that that's, uh, that's my living Torah for this week
0: I love that wow we will share it tonight at the uh, Swiss table God bless you Aaron thank you for doing this on last minute yeah for sure my pleasure and Shabbat Shalom Shabbat Shalom